What's up guys, John Sintos here, my buddy, my partner, the guy, Cass Kreitlow. We have not podcasted in a while because we got slammed with summer training, right? Summer training. Um, Sunrise to sunset. Yeah, we were we were out there for the people that's, that know us and out there. Appreciate everybody coming out and learning. And <clears throat> I want to comment on summer training first and say that, you know, I could have been happier with the developments of things and how we were able to train our guys. Um, for all the people that went full-time, we were able to test a lot of their full-time training with some live at-bats. We learned a lot about the strategy of how we went about it. We learned a lot about um, what the kids liked about it and how they, they really enjoyed um, throwing to batters and testing these ideas and concepts that we were actually trying to get them to learn. Like trying to develop a more consistent breaking ball that has later, you know, later break, but also understanding that where you throw it matters. So trying to apply all these concepts to throw really, really good pitches um, to get guys out. Um, Cass came up with a phrase uh, recently that I really, really like also, but it's a, a good way to kind of define the program. And he, and he said, uh, we're a velocity-based arm care throwing program. And I, and I feel like that's the best way to describe what we do. But um, did you have any thoughts on, on summer? Yeah, well, so that I was thinking about all, all the things and that was the first thing that came to my head is anytime we start talking about what we are working on, it always comes down to, I have seen, I have trained players without a radar gun. I have trained players with that as something that's kind of in the background. It's like something that we hope that we're training at the same time and never really having an impact on it. And gosh, we had so many PRs this summer, right? We we had days, there was a moment when we had four kids, uh, kid double PR'd, so PR'd and then PR'd again on top of that. So we had five PRs and four kids in like three minutes, just like back to back to back. And so when, when we talk about velocity-based arm care program, like velocity-based, I see competition from this. I see kids pushing themselves in ways that they typically don't push themselves, particularly in baseball, right? It is um, famously not very challenging, right? In, a, in the way that if I go to a wrestling practice, I am taxed, right? That is mentally and physically challenging for me. Baseball is challenging in many different ways. So it gets, it makes training something that is very um, accessible to kids that are craving uh, feedback in a way that helps them get better. You know, I think that's something that really is obvious with the kids that we see. So velocity-based arm care program and backing that up with um, really managing and teaching kids and educating kids on how to manage their arms. So yeah, that I, I think that's that's what I saw this summer was we're getting we're more clearly defining what we're doing so we can do a better job helping you understand um, whether you're in the program what what are you doing um, and also those people that are not in the program looking in and considering it um, those are the things that really jump out to me so and that makes me want to go into something that's been kind of a hot topic online lately is. Um, we do believe in running guns. There's a lot of people that don't believe in running guns. Um, as it was explained to me in the research that I've done, as well as me doing it, I feel like I can describe the running gun as one of the most difficult drills to do as far as making it be perfect. Um, that's why we like to do it. It speeds your entire motion up 
so that you have to be perfectly on time to throw the baseball. Otherwise, the velocity will not go up. So there's a lot of systems and movement and patterns and timing and things that each athlete is doing, but basically they're just trying to run, they're trying to shuffle and trying to throw the ball as hard as they can, as well as follow through as far as they can so they don't feel anything as far as pain or anything from there. So we, we have great success with a lot of our athletes doing this and they understand that what they feel when they're going way faster than they're used to doing and we apply that same thing and transition to the mound and try to move faster on the mound, you're trying to teach a feeling so someone can repeat it so they can actually move faster than they normally are. Because velocity just doesn't show up. You know, and, and when you're moving that fast, you can't think about what's going on, right? So when you tap into that, that it's literally a mode that a lot of kids are are maybe not allowed to go to or afraid to go to, right? And so it's scary. It was scary for me seeing it. Like I remember very um, cautiously th looking at this at the beginning and thinking like, gosh, we have some kids that are moving as fast as they possibly can and they don't have very good patterns and that's putting them at a high risk for injury. But it's like when you don't have very good patterns, you don't move fast, right? You don't move very well in general. So the, the risk of injury is relative to the ability. Like if you're close, right? If you're real close and, and there might be one thing that's really off, like kids that have timing patterns with their uh, timing issues with their arm, but the rest of the piece looks really close. Like, sure, then we, that, that's a different situation. I'm talking about the kids that almost, um, they, they can't get the footwork down for this, right? They yeah. can't get the footwork down. And, and there's a community of people. And I was part of this saying, why the heck are we having them run and gun and potentially put them at a higher risk because they they even have a hard time like i'm trying not to make the kid sound dumb but, yeah. but like right struggles to simply put his exactly. feet in the right place can't, can't quite figure it out and even then you know you have to earn the right to run and gun with us but i'm you also saying that i've seen that it's it's appropriate i was I'm, I'm seeing that that's wrong because i see kids make adjustments in that i have seen kids run straight at the target never get turned, just pull their arm back and see the velo go up because they, they started attributing, if I run faster, the ball will go faster, right? They started making that connection. Even though it wasn't perfect, they were making velocity gains and they were having fun. And these are really young players. And these same principles are, I'm seeing have a big impact on older players. And in fact, I feel, especially now that I've seen it over time, is I feel a lot better about our younger players doing running guns um, and kind of finding their way along than I do older players because some of the things that I see older players doing because of the coaching that they've had and the way that they've been allowed to throw it is a lot more scary looking to me because they have the grown human bodies to create some serious force in really strong or really weak positions. I mean. and, and may have some bad habits of getting stuck in a place that may put them on you know, an injury. And and maybe it's because of an injury, right? Exactly. We, we, there's there's a lots weakness. of things going on. Maybe there's on. a weakness or an instability somewhere, and it controls the situation. And that's where, you know, uh, the video that we do at the gym where we have our Apple TV and we can stream um, any either one of our phones to it, and we can show people instantaneously, right after they got thrown the ball, side by side with Cass, what he does in Coach's Eye, 
and he can show this elite movement pattern even at a run and gun and you can pair the exact paint same movement with a big league guy and show no yes this run and gun movement does actually happen on the mound this is when it happens and look how this guy stops and does this and makes his hips turn and his shoulders rotate and he follows all three rules as opposed to when you did it look your glove side stopped you squeezed your glove you didn't rotate as far as you were supposed to and it really puts the the ability to make adjustments as you said way faster and when you can teach someone to to um, learn what they are doing based on what they feel and an external device like a radar gun then you can actually make changes faster you know there's a reason why we have guys making giant prs you know on, on their stuff and and as well as understanding what their arm is telling them you know yeah and i was thinking the same thing for video right it's another and, and making them more familiar with what they're looking at right so I think a lot of people, when they first see their video, they get self-conscious. They're not, as soon as you say anything that's not positive, it's easy for them to feel embarrassed that they're not doing it right or, or whatever. But um, we want to remove that. We shouldn't feel anything when we're watching video. Yeah. It should be something that we're just using it, just like when we watch the radar gun. Oh, that is just another form of feedback that should never be prioritized over what you are feeling, right? So like, what do you feel when you throw the baseball? Number one priority and creating a very strong connection with that feeling is the number one priority. But we supplement those things with things like the radar gun and video analysis. And, and those, those give kids more context. And this is why it's so obvious that it's, it's, so, it's a reason why it, we get results faster because we're giving them multiple different ways to create perspective. Once they have that perspective, now now they get to take some responsibility into their training, right? They get to say, this is my program, right? Because they want things to change, right? So, yeah, video analysis has been something that I think is a little bit abused, especially because uh, we, we turn it into such a mechanic thing, right? What do you see in video analysis typically is a 15-minute video watching one guy throw one baseball, and, and trying to solve the world's problems in that video, rather than just like, hey, here's that last throw, watch it for three seconds, it's gone, right? And, and like a lot of the video that I take in coaches, I, I'm just deleting it that night. I'm not posting it, I'm not making it available to them, but I'm making them more familiar with what they're doing. Um, and the older players, this is, this is a bigger thing for I think the, the 13 and older. The younger players, right, that I don't know how how internally focused a, an 11 year old is going to be right like where is am I pronating when I'm loading my arm right now like their their awareness of that is different right which is then we come back and we circle back into that's why velocity training is so important because you put them in front of our radar gun and you take them away from the video screen and you take them away from um, anything that's going to make it over their head right over analytical and you just say hey and we catch ourselves all the time, I do anyway, where I'm like, hey, why don't you just go throw faster than the last one you just yeah. threw, right? I'll catch myself, you know, he, I'm losing that player and I'll just come right back to, hey, Cass, shut up, shut up and tell them to throw it faster. And it always brings them back in, whether it was a timing issue, whatever I was trying to fix is almost always improved by getting them to focus on throwing it fast and straight. Yeah, you gotta be selfish for throwing the baseball. There's not a lot of people that talk about that concept either and you have to be so self-aware and so you know in, in tune with your body on your timing and when things move and this and that and I, we just don't see a lot of people that do that and and the game of catch that 
Cass and I can play as opposed to a game and catch as to, you know, one of our younger athletes is just going to be completely different because we're going to make adjustments each throw, even at a low velocity. You know, I, I was literally just going to talk about long toss, so I just want to run with this and yeah. I want to go right into yeah, long sure. toss and, and what we do. And we, you know, the, the ability to throw the ball to someone and the ability to throw the ball to a target are two separate skills, right? But both provide good feedback because you can't always throw to a target and you can't always throw to a person, right? And even the catcher itself could be a target if you if you really broke it down to one thing. And we know, we teach our kids how to zoom in with their eyes and what they're doing. And we know that if you can look at something as small as you possibly can on the catcher, like the glove, like the seam inside the pocket, then you can almost get yourself like a dart player to zoom in to what you're trying to do and feel the ball come off your hand and go where it needs to. So we, we really try to teach feel and velocity at the same time because we feel like that's the best way to do it. It, it doesn't make sense to us to do them in separate forms because that's not how you're trying to throw the baseball in a game. I was just thinking that if I could get geeky. So I can get geeky if you want me to on like why those things are actually the same thing. Why velocity and command and feel is the same thing if you break it down and look at what's actually causing velocity to happen. What I was making a note of was the, the feedback that we've talked about. So we're talking about velocity as a feedback. We're talking about a video analysis as a feedback. Um, and I'm getting caught up here typing slow. Long toss as it, and, and we just talked, you, you just, you, I, we need to review it already because that you just said all of the things that we need to focus on and, yeah. and why like long toss to me has been this like, oh, you got to stretch it out and it's about the arc and it like, it is, it, it, I think it is about the arc. Mm -hmm. And then I think it is about how you transition into that. And I think I, I'm curious um, more about what are you looking for in the ball? I know one of the first things I remember you saying to me ever was how straight you want the ball. And, and I think people like let themselves get away with too much, too much movement in their game of catch, thinking that that's part of their game. Yeah. Do you want to elaborate more on that? Yeah, for sure. Um, one of the, the well-known long toss guys in baseball is Josh Beckett. And he always was talking about, um, uh, yeah, I remember an interview a while ago, he was talking about, he used to be able to throw the ball 400 feet, but it wasn't 400 feet to him that was impressive. It was that he was trying to throw 400 feet and the guy keep his glove in front of his chest and hit the guy in the chest from 400 feet away. And then he would continue to attempt this skill for 10 throws before the guy would move back one yard. And so he was trying to push himself and focus as best as he could to put the best rep possible into a long toss throw so it would be as far as he could, as fast as he could, and as accurate as he could to hit one spot, even at 400 feet. And a lot of people think that you know, that's an unrealistic throw and the angles and the things like that, except for the fact that you're discounting that when you throw it in an up angle, the arm lays back in a safer way and it also rotates in a, in a safer position so that the arm can stay on track for what it's trying to throw for it to go up. Where we see a lot of inconsistencies with location and people will get into bad positions throwing is in the direction they're trying to throw, they might change it mid throw and that long toss can actually help that where you're feeling your arm kind of unravel or get to your release point. So you know that I, if I hit this spot right here when I'm long tossing, the ball will go straight. And now how fast can I hit that spot? So it'll continue to go straight and even farther than where I'm trying to throw it. So we, we focus so much on the follow through and we're in a scenario in our gym um, where we tend to tell kids all the time, quit throwing it down. 
right? Um, it's, it's common where kids don't think of the perspective, or anybody for that matter, I shouldn't even just say kids. Players in a training environment not seeing themselves out on a field, not seeing themselves playing catch, and disregarding the flight that they're seeing, right? So, but we also focus a lot on the follow-through patterns. So it's like, oh, I, I can imagine where that's a thing too. My point is, is in a game of long toss, it's a place to establish better loading patterns, right? So I don't, and, and I'm just being honest, I don't know that I can claim that the angle that I release it is healthier or worse or better. I don't know anything about that, right? I'm not going to jump into studies and, and try to follow that. I'm just going to tell you from my personal experience of what I've seen people do is when people create angle, they need to search for that space somewhere. But it's a place for them to work on loading patterns. And, and sometimes when you're stuck in training environments that um, you're constantly throwing at a downward angle, I think that can be limiting. I think I see a lot of kids who struggle with arm pattern issues, who struggle with timing issues, that bleeds into health issues and um, command issues down there, and obviously velocity issues. Like anytime I'm seeing arm arm issues, I don't want to, to put that in there. So the angle that we're throwing at, I would argue, is a low, it enhances one's ability to load the arm correctly if you are if you're trying to have a straight game of catch, right? If if the whole time you're 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 expecting yourself to throw the ball straight. Right, that would not be the case because you still need to get to the release point. That's the biggest flaw that I see in people's long toss is they they they're not trying to achieve similar positions that they would down the mound. Right, it's still low back, keep the shoulders up, but still reach out and stay through the ball as long as you can. Or or even when they get done long toss, don't stay out for enough throws on long toss, and then come don't come back in and do shuffle fires or leg lifts or something because once when I get to my max distance when I'm throwing and then I come back in, you give it a little bit, but your arm feels really good. You don't want to push it to the point at that position where it's just absolutely hanging. You want to get close to that hanging position where you feel like you got a little bit of a workout in. And then you're going to come back in because that arm's going to feel real live because you've just been maxing it out for what you're doing. And we do shuffle fires at about 70 feet or so, starting or so, so you can give yourself a shuffle to get into it so you're close to that 60-foot mark when you're throwing, and you're trying to throw it to a spot. You know, your arm feels different than what it normally would. It definitely feels more game-like. And you can tremendously increase feel and accuracy if you're just trying to do it. Of course you're going to spike some. Of course you're going to sail some. But it's how you respond to that feedback of the miss is what tells you how you're going to be able to continue to solve this Rubik's Cube of how often can I hit this spot? How often can I hit this spot? Because that's where we're back to that selfish thought process of, of really trying to tune into what you're doing. Well, and that's why you have to continue to do it. Like, this is something that it isn't like a couple games of long toss or a couple games of anything like this is such a long process right and so the discovery is in how do I tap into something that allows me to throw as hard as I possibly can as often as I possibly can what does that look like and that's always relative too right um, somebody who's only playing 20 to 30 games in a year doesn't really need to worry about that in the same way that somebody that's trying to throw 100 innings in a year, right? So the, the constraints on this is all relative to the, the person, but we just don't see people addressing this, right? So who's talking about the amount of, um, like how many, 
<clears throat> if, if you're a, if you're an athlete that's expected to pitch 200 innings, not 200 innings, what what's better? Um, let's let's say 200 at bats in a summer, right? Like how many games is that? How many games is 200 bats? Like 50? No, that's like 90. Oh, 90? Oh. 90. Yeah, so like 90 games in a summer, right? Who talks about how to keep your arm up throughout that, right? And then how many coaching staffs are in line with that, right? And, I, and, and these are honest questions. I don't know. We're not in this world, right? Are, is there a, a huge community of coaches out there, youth coaches that are telling their kids, okay, uh, today's your off day. You're not going to be throwing today. Um, you're on a 20% day. You're on a 50% day. Like, are, are, is anybody managing arms out there? And in the experience that I've had and the stories that are shared with me, I'm just not sure that that's what's going on, right? So we make these claims that you should be going to play long toss, then you should be going to train in front of a radar gun and trying to pull down and do these things. And, and, and everybody only looks at that, and but they're not looking at what we're doing with arm care and how much time. I mean, I, I've said this many times recently. When I first came to John, I, I was like, uh, how much shoulder work are you doing? Why are we spending this much time doing it? And, and the simple answer now to my old uh, obnoxious self would have just been, uh, because all of our kids' arms feel good, right? Everybody feels good. And it's obvious, right? And it's not that everybody is feeling good right this moment. It's all relative, right? It's the fact that we have kids that come in that can't play catch, right? And they leave. And, and this is like two to three months later, and they're like, I'm playing a very good game of catch at like a really aggressive tempo. And I'd still get sore and I'm still learning how to get preparing my body. But like some people just never get a solution to these things. We, we continue to meet players that, that simply are told, rest your arm, do some shoulder work and that's it. But then the, the interplay of playing catch, managing games and, and learning how to arm care within that and how to recover within that and be able to have the guts to say, I cannot throw today. Today has to be an off day for me because you just can't get going. Mm -hmm. That, that that has to be built into the culture and it's not being built in. Oh, yeah. or, or they don't, you know, same thing. You, you can go say even further with it. We don't see where, you know, you're even telling them how far to go on a 20% day, how far to go on a 50% day, how far to go on a 100% day in practice. They show up, they do the same warm-up routine, they go to the same 90, 120 distance, which 120 is a whole thing to me that's like ridiculous, especially when you we know that talk about like it. the farthest throws that that the outfielders will make are roughly 200, 250 feet. And then you have the infielders that the farthest throw I think they will make in the infield is like 190 or something like that. So basically 200. And then a relay throw from an outfielder to home plate is roughly 200 feet or maybe even 225. So we don't, we're not even telling the athlete, we're not even teaching the athletes to get to the maximum distance of throw distance of what they need in the game because they should just go to 90 feet, feel good, and then go in, take ground balls, and do what they can because they probably won't make a throw. And that just seems like a flaw in a strategy of what we're doing because we're not educating the kids on, well, don't you need to know what it feels like and how far it feels like to throw a baseball 200 feet? Like at the bare minimum to accomplish the throw? Not to like build, but like you need to be able to calibrate your brain to understand there is an arc, there is a feeling, there is a throw that you have to make in order for it to get all the way there in the air and fast and on time like you want it to. I, I just, I mean, I, I can only share my limited experience in, in what I've seen, but it's, 
it's as if that when you, as soon as you get on a field, the practice has to look a certain way, right? That you can, you are limited by the sanctity of the field. And it's like, well, when you look at the, the way that we train outside of the field, and, and if you could find a more creative way to do that, you can, you can, your practice can, your practices could have the potential to be very efficient. And I think that's what you're seeing at the higher levels is, is people are just learning how to train smarter. And, and that's it's what you've always seen at the college level, right? Is you look at what the colleges are doing, the better high schools just mimic that from a program standpoint, right? There are systems in place. There's a way to, that they develop culture. They do fun things, but they also do like things that actually make kids better, right? There's this constant flow of good uh, routine within that, um, right? And that allows growth. But, but at the lower levels, I, I just don't see a lot of it. I see a lot of infield, outfield, teaching that kind of stuff but then you know batting practice that we don't you don't ever hear the game being taught in batting practice um you know it's just it's redefining the way that people think about practice yeah Uh, i don't think we're i think this would be a good last topic to go into i don't think we are teaching the game at all correctly we are teaching kids how to feel the ball and throw it we're teaching kids how to swing a bat we're teaching kids how to catch a ball being thrown at them and then we are kind of teaching them how to throw and play the game but the problem is that is all a very controlled situation if you get these kids and you got three kids playing whipple ball and and another three kids playing whipple ball and they're going to play a game in the backyard they're going to play the game and the kid pitching is not going to get he's going to give up one home run probably right that's only going to happen one time before he gets mad and he's going to start throwing everything he wants to try to get the guy out he's going to try to get creative and experimenting and throwing nasty pitches and then the kid that's hitting doesn't want to get struck out so he's going to be trying to absolutely hit balls to the moon bat flip like we see stuff on tv i mean i remember playing tennis ball baseball in the yard and doing the ken griffey swing and launching tennis balls and then hitting the bat on the ground and doing the griffey walk all the way to you know to first base like he used to and granted I'm not lefty I'm a righty but either way you know that culture of fun is what should be celebrated in baseball and we we should go back to that like the concept of letting someone hit the ball like just let them hit it is the worst most unfun thing in baseball I will put that right there and if you've ever said it you know you cringed when you said it to a kid and, and it just doesn't make sense to you. It's against your natural competitive instinct to to sacrifice something and just be like, here you go, man, just smoke it, you know? You see it all <laughs> the time in the big leagues where some guy throws 99 right down the middle on a 3-1 pitch, and the guy hits it 450, and everybody's like, well, you know, 3-1 happens, right? But in, in the competitive spirit, like, I just don't understand why you have to throw that 3-1 fastball. And if you can teach kids to do certain things and execute other pitches um, like other countries do. Like in Japan, they throw 3-0 change-ups because everybody in Japan swings. It happens. They swing all the time. You know, it, it's, there's, a, there's a disconnect in the, gr- the grand concept of winning the game because if each player wins their at-bat and wins their position, you will win the game, right? So it's a weird baseball game because you have a team hitting strategy that may not work for every hitter that's on there, right? 
you have a team pitching philosophy that probably doesn't work with every pitcher. For example, every pitcher doesn't have a good changeup and every pitcher doesn't have a good slider. And one kid might have more feel for his changeup and one kid might have more feel for his slider. But if you don't know that and you're just gonna call the game and play the video game and you know not communicate with the kid and try to do it as if you were moving pawns, it just, it just it doesn't Okay, so I've never heard somebody say it like that. Say that about the hitters again. A team strategy, a team hitting philosophy. Yeah, so they haven't worked. It doesn't work for everybody on the team. Okay, so I think it's Baldwin Wallace said this is a D three at the convention was talking about how he has kids on three different timings. He has them on early, on time, or late timing, and most people aren't going on late timing. And sometimes this can change within an at bat. But he talked about having players in his um, lineup that would purposely be. Um, early timing guys. So those are the guys that have sock. So he'd like, as long as, unless he turned it off, he'd always have them be early because if they catch things out front, they tend to leave the yard. So it was, that. that's the, the closest thing that I can think of to, that's you know, allowing there to be individualized plans within a system. Because I, you're right, like it's so common to have a team might approach like a program approach. Like I remember pitching against teams in college and knowing they were going to take the first pitch and just babying in a fastball and then bouncing a change up or a two seam or whatever it was and like I just absolutely running through baseball teams because you knew everybody had the exact same swing, they had the exact same approach. They were just a robot from the right and the left side, and you attacked them the same way. And and it, uh, it makes me sad. It yeah. makes me sad because it's like. I think about how easy it is to teach kids how to think, to teach, teach kids how to play the game, to think about the game. Everybody's going to be so much happier because when you teach kids to be intelligent about the game that's being played, you and then they start doing it, you're like, oh my gosh, my little 14-year-old just made a very intelligent decision because we taught him how to make the decision, not how to make the play. Yeah, that's the biggest thing we're denying in baseball. Baseball is a strategy game. I, with, without a doubt... There it, are kids, it, is, it is the biggest strategy game you can have. There are kids that grow up and they've never called their own pitch in their entire life. Yeah. That's crazy it's to nuts. me. Absolutely nuts. nuts. Especially this, this day and age with the show and all the video games, all the video analysis, the games are on TV, the highlights are on Instagram. You know, there's they're just mismatch as far as like how, you know, we go. That could be homework. Hey, you gotta play the show this weekend. Well, like think of that. Like, we're hey, you have to pitch on the show. We're putting that in there. We're adding the show to the, to the uh, yeah, no, it's, it's seriously you could, though. You could really do some, some big time testing. Actually, um, one of our college guys talked about a lot of the sequences and the, the ideas that we talk about. He applies it to his, to his game in the show. And he said, he, he said he felt like the concepts that we talk about fast, slow, and then certain pitch sequences that we know when you're looking for a fastball, you throw a change up or, you know, at, the other things that we talked about, he said not only did it work in the show against like other people online, but it worked against the computer. And then when he threw against batters, it worked also. So, you know, it's just, that's, when you look at game theory testing, if it works with one, two, three, four, it's gotta work, you know? But if it doesn't work with one, two, three, four, you gotta think about that. It's probably not a strategy that works, you know? Yeah. Like, and for example, I'm sorry, I'm going, but. Yeah, like, no, it's good. Throwing all fastballs in the first inning to me sounds like the most ridiculous but thing. But I was just world. thinking of this, like, you could practice that. You can practice that in the show. Exactly. And you could literally give people practice plans. Like, this is, I, I have never thought of this That's, before. It's game theory testing, yeah. It's a good idea. Just, sure. just, just teach. Cool. 
And you see the guys, by the way, if you do have to all fall, like we had some kids complain about their college plan because their coach hanging around and go all fastballs and they're live at bats. Like there's no rule that says you have to throw right down the middle. There's also no rule that says you have to throw a strike. And so we challenge the kids in that fastballing situation when you are so constrained, you don't have your other pitches that you want to use, like brush a dude back, throw in a little bit off the plate, challenge him inside, challenge him away, challenge him middle. You know, like the worst thing that's going to happen in this practice situation is he hits a home run. And oh. that's still not the end of the world in the grand concept of your fall training for college. The other thing you could do, in, let, let, like let's say you're condemned to fastball, and and I've been I've been guilty of it. I did it as a coach. We it was whatever. Like it's it's something that exists. Okay, think about it still in fast slow. Okay, so what could you do with your fastball? Well, first off, you could literally just throw one slower, and like, yeah. what are they gonna say? Yeah. Like, <laughs> do yeah. a little easy, but more along well, the lines of fast. thinking about the tunnels of depth. Right, and that if you think about where you have to hit a fastball that's in or up and in versus a uh, fastball that's down and away, and playing on that, what if you just try to throw fastballs at the hands and fastballs down and away? Like, what if that was what you tried to do? Have you ever tried to do that? You know, um, so making sure that we're actually having this conversation is, is probably where we would start. Especially when it's vaguely blanketed by the concept of just throw strikes. Like that just doesn't make, it just, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bad word to me, it's a hot word. When I hear, when I hear these phrases and these things that, that are so obvious to people that they try to make it seem like it's a remedy to a situation, it, it's, a general misunderstanding of what your brain needs to be thinking about when you're throwing a baseball. Yeah, it's just an oversimplification, something that is a lot more complicated than that. And it, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's in response often to a, a problem. And it's just, it doesn't yeah, solve the throw, problem. Throwing balls. Obviously, nobody <laughs> wants to go out there and throw balls, right? And, if, and when you have coaches that, you know, it, I'll say this. If you have little young guys that can't throw strikes, right? And you go to practice, and all you're working on is ground balls and hitting. But your biggest issue that you guys don't throw strikes, don't think you have it figured out yet, right? And so I, the, the difficulty for a young team is that you don't have a piece of equipment called a turtle that could really change the entire way you train your young team. And a turtle is basically a half batting cage that goes over a catcher and a hitter where someone throws at it, right? But what happens is, is it creates a safe space on the outside so that you can actually hit ground balls to infielders while a pitcher is pitching to a batter. So now you're accomplishing multiple things at once, which happens all over the world, right? Japan's notorious for putting up three different mounds and having three different live BP sessions before their games. They have an entire team that's not on the roster that throws live BP to their hitters, and they're constantly working at it. And they have minor leaguers. There's a whole different strategy to approaching the game of hitting because even them like they throw so much stuff like it's all as as the americans would call it as, as we would call it as junk these guys are junk ballers but yet they still throw 95 so what is that you know is, is that junk ball or is that strategy and understanding that if you have a 20 to 25 mile an hour differential on your curveball to fastball then the odds of the guy hitting it or being ready and being able to guess between the two especially with other pitches layered in between like changeups, cutters and sliders that now we're becoming a difficult pitcher because this guy has to honor this entire speed ladder of information and pitches to be able to hit the ball. But it's also interconnected too because you also have to have the ability to practice these things. Um, so 
I was just thinking about how I believe we've talked about this as far as we want to train velocity first. Yeah. And and I always think about it like this. The fact that John has the amount of pitches that he does is simply because he's healthy enough to practice them and get a feel for them. Right. And he's doing it the right way in a sense that if you can throw a ball the, the way you should with a fastball correctly, right? It's not that hard to throw off-speed pitches. And I think that's something that people just don't understand is that the reason why off-speed pitches can be so elusive and like hard to um, acquire is because people don't throw the ball very well, right? And so when our hand is doing unpredictable, inconsistent things, the moment the ball is coming out of our hand just on fastballs all the time, Right? It's hard to manipulate it to, to do other things that we're, we're trying to consciously do. Um, and, then, and then often we suffer with our mechanics in that standpoint too. So I don't know, it's, it's very cyclical because we, we, we talk about the issue of how the game is being taught, but then we are also affording people to play the game that we're teaching, right? to train the game that we're teaching based on how we're training them. Right, so we can we can ask kids to throw as hard as they can with this, these these the way they can because of the way that we demand them to do their recovery and arm care. Right, so the expectation and their capacity to do work is high enough where we can put the demands on them that we do, but um, they just have to all be there. These are so intertwined. So I, I was thinking about, for the record, we're. we're I know we're kind of live, kind of not. Yeah. We do have to go quick. Yeah. We should do a video on slow fast real quick um, is one thing that I was thinking of. Okay. Um, let me, before we go there, let me just see if I can. One well, of our, one of our, um, uh, one of our high school guys had an awesome uh, weekend and uh, we got a great text from the dad. Um, I don't remember, I can't find it anyway. Uh, anyway, uh, he, so he doesn't throw he doesn't throw the fastest, right? But he maximizes who he is and executes. He has a good curveball and he had a phenomenal outing. Phenomenal. And he worked all summer for these ten. His coaches said that he was throwing harder. I want to say he threw like five or six innings, ten strikeouts, one walk, no earned runs, like two hits, one hit, or something like that. That's a great stat line. And, they, the, the, and you can break that entire stat line down to one thing when we ask this kid, what is he trying to do every time he steps on the mountain? And he says one thing. He's trying to strike out everybody he faces. Everybody, right? And, and the concept of understanding that the more difficult of a pitcher you can be to hit the actual baseball, the more likely that you are going to get swing and misses or miss hits, which are basically what your coach would call a rollover or a flare or whatever it is, and you're going to win the game because you're a difficult pitcher. Is that hard to do? Yes. Is it hard to do if you practice it a lot? No, it's not. Well, and that's the thing too, is just like a lot of this is really just believing that you can do it. And I know that sounds so cliche, but it's like I, I made a very conscious decision. And this was as like a 25 year old, but I remember because I had shoulder pain because I had, my shoulder was just destroyed. But I would, I would consciously go like, I need to just, I just need to throw the crap out of the ball. I need to not care. I need to go into the game. And I just need to throw it. It's going to bother me a little bit. My shoulder's not going to feel the greatest. But as soon as I went into that, the mindset like that, like I just got locked in a lot differently. And when I got into that mind space, um, that flow state, if you will, right, I was able to really just do what I thought I could do. I wanted to go in and I wanted to throw fastballs, arm side and breaking balls for a strike. And it was so simple to me. 
and everything would expand off that, right? So if I had a changeup, if I had a cutter, if I had a fifth pitch in, in that, like it would just expand from that, that simple idea. But, but it all had to stem from just like, I'm getting locked in right now to go in and execute a plan. And I did so much better when I did that. Like I was, I was lit. There was a point where I was consistently 72 to 75% strikes all the time, just because I like decided to, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah. Cool. All right. Well, uh, we got to get running here. Yeah. We got to go. Appreciate it. We'll work on that fast little video another time. But in the meantime, um, we need you to rate, review, and subscribe. That's what we have to say. Yeah, and rate, review, review subscribe. Um, we have apparel coming up, so ask us about it. Yes, if, yes. Um, we, there's, now that we have time, now that we, we, we have our mornings back, we're gonna be, you're going to see a lot of more stuff out of us. We're going to be... A lot of more. A lot of more. Yep. See, including English, a lot of more selections, like, yeah. a lot of more good stuff. A lot of more of everything. <laughs> More right. content, more apparel. Yes. Follow us, subscribe. Yeah, rate, reviews, subscribe. Rate, reviews. rate, review, subscribe. Cool. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Cutter Nation.